Welcome to Generation Money with David and Tyler. Today we're joined by Thomas Wong from Oasis LMS. So Tom, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and your company? All right, so my name is Tom and uh, I am the co-founder of a company called Oasis LMS, which is an online learning management system. And we help our customers who are education providers to provide education online to um, individuals, mostly adults, uh, to either better them better themselves or uh, uh, get certain certifications to uh, take on additional uh, responsibilities in their career. Okay, so let's just start right away. We're going to start when you were young. So were there any important activities, hobbies, or events in your childhood and high school years that you think played a big role in you making the decision to go into software and just shaping your uh, experiences and your future career as a whole? Okay, all right. Um, so I will say that, you know, when you're younger, you, um, you know, when I was younger, I probably are not thinking about what I can do to uh, better prepare myself for my future career because I really don't know what my future career is. And I don't think anyone will have an idea what they want to do when they grow up, even when they're in high school or college. So what I think it is, so looking back, what I think really helped me is um, uh, I really enjoy enjoy mathematics when I was in high school and uh, also in college to a certain degree and I think mathematics um, obviously you're not going to need to know algebra and calculus in say a software business but um, just the love for mathematics um, sort of uh, pushes you to think other problems uh, logically and uh, apply the kind of analytical skill that is important for almost every problem you deal with in a professional setting. This is especially true if it's a software company because a lot of um, software problems require a very ma mathematical uh, skill in the sense that you have to be able to understand all the variables that that goes into the problem and how you go about solving it. So I think, you know, the fact that I enjoyed math mathematics when I was younger helped me, um, helped me develop the skill that allows me to analyze the problem in my career profession. Does that make sense? Well, um, the next thing we wanted to touch on was so we started off with your um, high school and your childhood, but mm -hmm. I also wanted to ask you about some like important events or people that you met or um, experiences that you had that helped like pave your career path or like get you start going into the direction for like where you are right now. Especially okay. in like uh we're talking about college right now because like that's where most people will be seeing the direction they want to go and when they're picking majors and classes. So uh -huh. maybe touch on that a bit too. Okay. All right. So um, I think there is difficult to pinpoint exactly one or two events that sort of paved uh, the way for my current job. I would say that uh, probably the biggest uh, event that has the biggest impact 
for my business is something happened that is completely outside of my control, which is the uh, emergence of uh, a business model called software as a service. And I think uh, you guys are probably too young to even remember this, but uh, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, there's this company called Salesforce, uh, which everyone has heard of it now, but back then very few people have heard of it. But Salesforce started this business that essentially not selling a software to the business, but renting the software to the business. So when they start doing this, you know, when they first started, it's a very different business model from say Microsoft and Adobe and those big software companies who sell their software directly to the consumer for a one-time payment, and that will be it. So Salesforce decided to rent software to customers. So the monthly rent is much cheaper, but uh, the customer will have to continue to pay uh, the licensing fee. The reason I mention this is because um, it's something that actually happened, I will say, completely outside my control. I have never even thought of a business model like this, but um, uh, it happened and it completely changed, I will say, the software landscape because uh, when they started this business model and uh, it's catching on and the business start buying into the idea of paying a monthly licensing fee for software instead of paying a one-time fee for software allows a software company to have a very positive cash flow for their business model, allow them to continue to invest, um, uh, invest in research and development for their business and their software gets better and better. So to circle back to the question that you asked, you know, what, you know, what event happened that paved the way for my current job, I would say, you know, it will be something that I didn't really do on my own, but it's just a industry shift. And I think that the takeaway from that is really, there are certain things that you may not have control over on what happens, but you have to keep a lookout on everything that's happening around you. And, uh, understand how those change in people's mentality, business uh, philosophy, how that changes how you uh, apply yourself in your profession. Because oftentimes those are the, uh, the successful people are the people who can uh, see the changes around them and accommodate their business model with those changes. So, make sense? Yeah. So, All right. Uh, learning management systems for these big companies and associations where they have to teach adults different topics, it's okay. pretty obscure and most kids and even college uh -huh. students wouldn't know about it. So were there any big uh, things that happened in your career that really drew you to this field, to this area? Uh, so actually, uh, I fall into this particular market. You are 100% correct. This market is what we refer to as a niche market. It's a very, you know, adult training, which, you know, people don't tend to think of. of. You don't actually uh, think about, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to create a learning management system that is for, you know, adult education, right? So nobody ever thought about it. So I happened to fall into an opportunity where um, a, a customer of mine who 
ask me to do software programming as if they can pay me a monthly fee to continue to improve the software. So, and that's really one, you know, I circle back to the previous uh, uh, answer, right? Like when that's really when Salesforce also starting to take off is when I realized, hey, you know, um, someone paying me a monthly fee to support a particular software seems like a very good business model because I have this uh, reoccurring revenue that allows me to uh, make sure the software is good so that it will reduce my support costs in the long term, right? So that's sort of how I fall into this opportunity. So I will say that uh, I didn't find the market, this market, this niche market fund me, and I just happened to decided to create a business when I happened to come up to this market. So, yeah, so basically, it's kind of like the market found you, and this subscription payment kind of helped fuel your company to help with its growth, right? Exactly, exactly. So I did not anticipate that uh, it would catch fire, but as soon as it did, I realized it was a good decision to go with a software as a service model. So I wanted to ask you, um, like going off of like these um, things that happened earlier in your career that helped you get to where you are, what does your average day look like in terms of what you do for your business and like how you interact okay. with the market and things like that? Sure. So basically, sort of, uh, what are some of the typical things I do in executing the business? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I'm lucky enough to surround myself with uh, a lot of good team members. So I don't have to uh, dive into sort of uh, nitty gritty details of uh, the actual implementation. So my average day. Typically, what I do is I have daily status calls with uh, various team within the company to make sure that uh, everyone is talking to each other. Everyone is not waiting on things that is going to take a while. So you want to make sure that you remove any blockers. You just make sure that uh, by having a daily call, you're able to um, keep the team running smoothly. And I also typically have at least one status call with uh, one client because uh, software, uh, especially uh, uh, a very niche market software, require a lot of um, human interaction with your client because uh, your client don't want to feel like they're just you know another card in your Rolodex. So you want to make sure that you have uh, a very uh, close relationship with your client. So almost once a day, I try to schedule a time to talk with uh, my clients to find out you know, whether they're happy or they're unhappy mm -hmm. with the product, and also to find out what they are trying to accomplish to make sure that uh, we are continue to improve the product that is, uh, that's gonna help them because um, software as a service is a very competitive market. So you want to make sure that uh, your client, you constantly are talking to your client so that their 
pain points are always on your mind. It's always your pain point so that you you will constantly improve your platform to address those pain points because if you don't, they will change to another vendor because there is a lot of vendors out there that provide similar platforms. So you always have to make sure that you create a continuous dialogue with your uh, customers so that you understand what they're trying to do and what they like and what they don't like about your platform. So I think my day typically uh, revolves around making sure that um, my team members are operating at their full capacity and also making sure that the, the client's concern are being forwarded to various team members so that uh, those concerns can be addressed. So as a sort of a, a, a president of the company, you really want to make sure that the information flows throughout the company so that everyone knows what's happening at any given time. Would you say that the your relationships with the clients and how happy the clients are might even be more important than like how your team is working or how well your product's doing and it's just the relationship that matters? Or would you say that the relationship comes second? Like even if you don't have a great relationship, if you have a great product, a great team, great customer service, they'll mm -hmm. still say with your product. So I would say that a quality product is way more important than a personal relationship because at the end of the day, if your product breaks, um, doesn't matter how well liked uh, you are personally, your customer will suffer financially if your system does not work. So they're not going to stick with you. So I will say that uh, it is very important to have a quality product. With that said, um, there's a lot of quality product out there so that even though you have a quality product, you still need that personal relationship so that when they, you know, when, when there are certain things that happen that's not desirable, you are given a little bit of a grace to fix the problem before this, they decide to look somewhere else. So having a, a good relationship will give you a little bit of a cushion if your system, for example, suffer a temporary outage, right? So, um, so for example, right, like Zoom recently had an outage. So I don't know uh, if you realize their CEO actually sends out an email that day to apologize. So I think that shows a lot of um, sort of a, a strength in the CEO to say that, um, we, we know you depend on our product and that we apologize for a mistake. And by doing that, I don't think a lot of uh, Zoom user will leave Zoom simply, simply because they had an outage for about two or three hours. So I think that's important, right? So Zoom is a good product, but having a good relationship will give you more grace in case your product have temporary issues. So, and that's the same thing with my, my platform. Yeah, so speaking kind of on Zoom, which rose during this pandemic, and the biggest problem we've been having lately, which is COVID-19 that's disrupted all of our lives, how have you personally adapted uh, your <laughs> workflow or your life for COVID-19, and how has your company reacted either um, with 
how people are working in the office or anything you have to change with your service or any new things that you need to roll out. Before we move on, please don't forget to subscribe to Generation Money wherever you get your podcasts. If there's anything you would like us to talk about or for us to add to the podcast, please let us know. Without further delay, back to the podcast. Yes. Um, so I will say that uh, in a very perverse way, COVID-19 is actually very good for my business. And that's just because um, uh, my business is all about online education. So when COVID-19 happens, um, in the world of education, you have two types of education. You have an in-person education where everyone go into a training center or go into an event and get educated. And you have an online education where people get educated online. But because COVID-19 essentially stopped all in-person education, we see a flood of uh, requests for online education. So our business actually has grown because um, there's just a, a higher demand for online education. Uh, with that said, um, you know, I would say the success is opportunity plus the ability to execute, right? So just because COVID-19 create an opportunity for additional need uh, for online education, you have to be able to execute. So one thing that we took advantage of the situation, I won't say advantage, we take advantage of the opportunity is that uh, we doubled our onboarding staff wow. because we want to make sure that uh, we have enough um, uh, team members to help any new client when they uh, decided to use an online platform. We also significantly improved our training um, for any new client so that when they do have to use, uh, when they do have to pivot their education from an in-person model to an online model, they're probably not very familiar with a brand new platform. So we increase the amount of uh, training we provide for um, people who just starting to do online education for the very first time to ease that transition so that the, when they, you know, are touching a platform for the very first time to do uh, online education, we want to make sure they have all the resources available at their fingertip so that it's a pleasant experience so that when COVID-19 do uh, disappear, they will keep online education as a component of their overall education offering. So I will say that, uh, you know, those are really the two main uh, uh, actions that we took as a company to make sure that we are uh, sort of uh, um, expanding our business when the needs arrive. So. Um, so a quick segue, like, well, going off of uh, what we were talking about with adjusting to, for COVID-19. Um, mm -hmm. What would you recommend um, if, let's what, what would you have done if COVID-19 had not helped your company? Like if okay. it had. Um, so if, uh, let's not, say, I, okay. So actually I can tell you quite a few companies that we work with that uh, that are significantly impacted by COVID-19, right? Okay. So we uh, we 
have worked with a company that does um, a lot of uh, in-person testing for competitions, right? So it's a math competition that is uh, uh, sort of administered in a single day worldwide. About 40,000 students participate in this math competition. So um, this company has been uh, doing this for about 20 years. But when COVID-19 hit, they can no longer um, do their competition in person because you cannot meet in person anymore. So they had to very quickly pivot to move the competition from in-person to online. So we work quite closely with this company to figure out how do you deal with um, such a huge pivot, right? So I will say that initially the problem seems overwhelming, right? How do you uh, communicate a drastic change to 40,000 students within one month uh, period to let them know that uh, their exam has been moved online? How, how do you move the registration? How do you, how do you set up the infrastructure uh, that doesn't exist before to handle 40,000 students to take a test online within a very small window? Right, so I will say that uh, even though COVID-19 um, did not adversely impact my company, I know that it has severely impacted a lot of companies out there and that we have worked with them to help them uh, sort of deal with the impact. And I can tell from experience that what we did for this particular client is we just have to figure out what are the concrete steps that we can take we have to accept certain realities, like for example, the competition is not gonna be as secure as the in-person. You are gonna have some level of cheating for a competition that is supposed to be highly um, secure because it used to be in-person, now that it is online. The fact that some people might cheat by having, for example, someone else helping them with the test, is there. So there are certain realities that you have to accept. And that's actually a good way to handle any unexpected problem is by um, looking at the problem and accepting certain limitations and then decide whether those are limitations are acceptable or not. And then try to carve your problem into a solvable problem and so what we ends up doing is we move their exam online. We accepted the fact that the exam is not going to be as uh, secure as in-person. We are going to have certain level of cheating, but it still is an exam and uh, it's still going to somewhat r reflect uh, you, uh, all the students' actual skill on the test and uh, we can still move forward with this year's competition. So that's just, I would say is a, you know, is a good model for handling any, um, any hardship that you're gonna run into, whether it's COVID-19 or something else in the future, is you have to do not let a, a problem be a showstopper. Try to find out if that problem has certain elements that you can live with 
and then just remove that and try to deal with the problem that you can solve. So does that answer your question? Yeah, that answers my question. Thank you. All right. Yeah, actually, I wanted to build off on this. So you kind of talked about how you have to accept that there are some realities sure. about uh, how secure your testing might be. Do you know if there are any changes that are going to be have to have to be done? And if there are any solutions to this uh, testing problem, kind of building off that is also everything's online now. We all had our um, uh, AP tests online. All the students understand that. And I'm even having like swim dry land online. I don't understand how this is supposed to work. Yeah. Everything's online. A lot of things are subscription services now. Do you mm -hmm. think that's the future? Is that the direction everything's leaning? Um, I will say that uh, uh, there are certain advantages and disadvantages to an uh, online model, right? So I will say that swimming for sure will be a problem that cannot be solved by technology. That's for sure. I don't care <laughs> who they are. They cannot have a swimmer swimming online. Now, with that said, there are technologies available to solve a lot of real problems. So for example, the the securing a exam even when the exam is taken online is a problem that we can solve right so we could create a online proctoring technology where the user when the student is taking the test online they're being recorded and then they're basically ensured that they are not cheating right so that will be a next step in the technology evolution for this particular client of ours to say if in 2021 we still have to take the test online and we know that the problem in 2020 is that there are cheating occurring the next logical answer is going to be we have learned and we have a year to prepare so in the next 12 months we're going to implement a online proctoring solution so that when the student do take a test they will be recorded and monitored. monitored so exactly so i will say each problem will probably have a different solution uh and the covid-19 will definitely significantly move things online but each problem will have a different solution when they're online so I cannot speak too much about other things, but I think everyone in the last six months have been familiar, has become familiar with, for example, Grubhub when they ordering food, when probably before they don't even know where Grubhub is. You know, before COVID-19, nobody has heard of Zoom. Now Zoom is used as a verb, right? So I think people realize there is going to be a huge shift to online because of COVID-19. But there are a lot of things that cannot be reproduced by keeping things uh, online. So you still have to have that in-person. For example, education, you're not gonna have a classroom strictly online because you're not gonna learn in silo. You have to be able to learn as a collective. So, make sense? Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I know before how it works is a lot of things are in person and the whole point was that it's very 
I would say local where you have everything on your computer. If you have Adobe, you download Adobe, you just buy it, you get it on a CD. Video games work the same way. Um, everything was like that. Now we're seeing the rise of people don't buy albums. They uh, subscribe to Spotify. You have to get Adobe Cloud so it's remote. It can be anywhere. Do you think that uh, subscribe? subscription services will become the future everything will have a subscription service uh, minus some few material goods or is there a cap to it is there a point where people just say hey i'm gonna start buying again because i have to pay like a thousand dollars a month for all my subscription services yeah so i would say that uh, we are definitely not seeing the ceiling of subscription-based services or products so i definitely think there's going to be more and more product and services that goes into a subscription model um so i know that there are cars now that's going to go into a subscription model and i know that netflix essentially is uh setting the gold standard as far as what a subscription model uh will uh a subscription model will will allow so i think there is going to be uh, you're going to see more and more product and services that goes into a subscription model. However, there are certain things that I would say um, that people probably don't want to do subscription model because they may not make sense to do a subscription model. Um, but I will say that uh, we don't know yet, right? Never say never, right? Just when you say that maybe, uh, say, f- food cannot be a subscription model. I'm sure someone is going to come up with a restaurant by subscription model, right? So there's probably people are going to keep pushing uh, the limit as uh, what is uh, what a subscription model will allow, which I think is good, right? Because I I think inherently a subscription model offer quite a few things that a purchase one time does not allow, which is when it is a subscription model, uh, your investment of uh, the customer's investment to get into this service is much lower and the provider of the service or the provider of the product have an inherent incentive to keep you on the subscription which means they will do everything they can to improve the quality of the product whereas if it's a one-time purchase there is no incentive for Adobe to improve the Adobe software if they already have your money, but they have significant incentive to improve the Adobe on the cloud because they want you to keep paying the monthly fee. Yeah. So I will say that uh, it's a a win-win situation. It allows more product and services to be more accessible to the customers and it provide a better business model so that the the service and product provider will also try to improve their service and product because they want that reoccurring revenue. So in my mind, with nowhere near the ceiling of what you're going to see as a subscription model, and then we'll continue to see it expand. So. Okay. That sounds great. Um, Well, to finish things off, um, I was just wanted to know um, mm-hmm. what are a few like recommendations that you would give um, for 
aspiring entrepreneurs, high school students or in, in college students who uh -huh. either want to start a business or just get into the um, software development field? Sure. Um, I will say that I probably cannot give advice to all the business out there, but since I have um, almost over 10 years experience running my own software business, I can speak a little bit on sort of what it takes to have a good software uh, company. So I will say the most important thing if you're thinking about doing a software-based company is you have to love technology. One thing about software that is quite unique is that it changes constantly. The speed of competition and the speed of new software is unbelievable. So you have to be able to uh, embrace new technology. You have to be able to uh, willing to make changes at the moment's notice in order to accommodate the change in the uh, technology landscape. So for example, when Amazon came online to provide AWS, that was a fundamental change to how software are, uh, software are delivered. So I think, you know, you got to be able to say, hey, this is a new technology. I need to learn it. I need to know how to apply this new technology to my company so that I can pivot if it's a right fit. So in order to have a software company, you have to be brave. You have to be able to take on new technologies. So I will say that a love for software is critical to have a software company. I know that is uh, almost a given. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that's very important. You cannot have a software company if you do not love software. It just does not go together, right? So that's number one. And number two is I would say that when you come to software technology, software that you're trying to sell, do not write a software and then look for customers. Because I have seen a lot of people who write software, pour their sweat and blood into a software only to find out that there is no market for that software. So I, I will say that I would strongly recommend that know who you your customers are. Exactly. Gotta know who your customers are. And this is something that seems silly. You have to be willing to listen. You have to say, hey, talk to your customers, find out what is their pain point, and then develop a solution to solve their problem. So if you remember anything, it's that don't create a product to look for a market. You got to find a market and to create a product for the market. So I would say that that is probably the most important advice, whether it is a software company or not. But I think it's especially important for a software company because a software company, there's no such thing as a 99% finished software. You had to finish the entire thing in order to market it. And the, by the time you finish the entire software, you have invested so much money and effort into the development that you cannot afford to be in the wrong market. So I would say that uh, 
making sure that you know your market is a very, very important uh, recommendation. Does that make sense? Yeah, complete yep. sense. Just got to plan ahead mostly and have passion sure. for what you're doing. Yes, definitely. So uh, that's pretty much it. We'd love, uh, we thank you, Thomas, for uh, joining us today on this podcast as our very first guest. Uh, for sure. You shared some wonderful information that I'm sure that all of our listeners would be super interested in. And maybe in a w little bit, we'll have you down here again and talking about the future of your company and some of the new software developments uh, that are happening right now. All right. Thank you for having me. That's the end of the episode. Before you leave, if you're in high school and you're interested in business, economics, or entrepreneurship, any of the sorts, please check out the Junior Economic Club at junioreconomicclub.org. David and I are both members and they organize amazing events where you can learn so many new things about business and meet other like-minded students and business professionals. If you are a current professional and would like to share your own experiences and tips, please contact us at david at junioreconomicclub.org or tyler at junioreconomicclub.org. Both of our emails will be linked down in the description below. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or any specific topic that we covered, please let us know. We would love to hear your thoughts. Anyhow, that's all for now. See you guys next time.